The title of today's teaching is Bearing the Fruit of Patience. I couldn't help myself. Uh, we went through love, joy, peace, and last week I said, I think this is going to be my last teaching on the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And like I said, I couldn't help myself. We're moving on to patience today, which you will see why I wanted to talk about this because of something that happened this week in my life that I'm going to share in a little bit that has to do with patience. Although we're all tested in this area. If any of you have been married or had kids or been in a relationship or if you've ever interacted with another human being before, I think that's everyone here, right? We've all been challenged in this area, in the area of patience. I guess you could say all of the fruits of the Holy Spirit are tested when we run into someone else, when we encounter other people in this world who are different from us and can, as it's been said, test our patience. And for me in my life, it's typically my kids most often lately that can bring that test my way. Even this morning as I was looking over my notes and trying to put together this teaching, I got up pretty early. I tried to, you know, and the sun doesn't come up here until 8 a.m. And so you would think my kids would understand that and not get up until the sun comes up. But somehow, some way, I tiptoe to the office hoping not to make any noise, and my daughter Mercy somehow wakes up very early. And I'm trying the, the bubba that we call it, the pacifier. I'm trying water mixed with electrolytes. Maybe that will help. She doesn't want that. And so it's like I'm rocking her on my lap, trying to look over my notes. I'm trying to be patient because really I want her to go back to bed. I want peace and quiet so I can put together a teaching that will bless you. And so even from the moment I wake up, I'm tested with patience. And there's other areas of perhaps your life and even my life that I'll share in a little bit where we are tested in this area of patience. Remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, um, the word Gethsemane actually in the Greek is two Greek words put together that means a place for pressing oil and wine. Um, it's gat and shanim, which is a place of the oil press. It's on the Mount of Olives. And so when we're being pressed, the question is, what comes out of us? When we're being pressed at work or at home or by our friends, family, kids, what comes out of us? What is in our hearts? And what came out of Jesus in that wine press, so to speak? The Garden of Gethsemane, he's being pressed. He's being tempted. Satan's going all out, assault on him. What's coming out? When you read John 17, when you read Matthew 26, the prayers of Jesus, he's praying for the saints. He's praying for the disciples. That's love that's pouring out of him. He says in John 17, 3, that the disciples would have his joy. Joy's pouring forth from him. Love, joy. He's at peace because he's living in the Father's will. He's patiently carrying out the Father's will in his heart. So you see Jesus bearing fruit even as he's being pressed in Gethsemane. And that's what God wants in our lives, that when we're being pressed, good fruit pours forth. So not only good times in our life are we bearing good fruit, hopefully, but John 15, 8, as we talked about last week, by this is my father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And that Greek word is palus, much, many, multitudinous, a great amount. God wants us to bear a great amount of fruit at all times in our lives, even when we're going through difficult times. And praise God. We all have areas to grow in our lives. 
Not all of us are full of the love that we should be and full of joy and peace. And maybe we've struggled in patience, but that's when we can look to Jesus and say, thank you, Jesus, that you were full of love, full of joy, full of peace, full of patience. When I fail in these areas, I can look to him and say, thank you, Lord, that you are my righteousness. So it's a time of examination for us. It's a time to look through each of these fruits of the Holy Spirit and today the fruit of patience. And the difference between us and the world is they can seemingly bear some of these fruits in their lives. They can have a certain level of love in their lives, right? We know non-believers that are married or love their siblings, their sons and daughters, their friends, their families. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 46, that even the tax collectors love their own. And he actually uses the word agape there for love. They have a level of agape love for one another. But Jesus takes it a step further. He says in Matthew 5, 44, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. See, that requires the Holy Spirit. The world can't love their enemies as God calls us to love our enemies. They have a certain level of joy in the world. But listen to what the scripture says about our joy. We can say as Christians, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. 2 Corinthians 6.10. We can say, I'm overflowing with joy in the midst of all our affliction. 2 Corinthians 7.4. We can say, Colossians 1.24, I rejoice in my suffering. And we can say Philippians 2.17, but even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. I love Paul. He's giving his life for the churches. His life is being poured out as a drink offering. And he's saying, I rejoice. Same thing as Jesus said in the garden of Gethsemane, that my disciples would have my joy and that it would be full. And the world can show a level of peace. But it says in Isaiah 48, 22, in Isaiah 57, 21, there is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. The wicked don't have true peace. They have superficial peace, as we talked about last week, but they don't have a deep abiding peace that we can have. As Jesus said in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. We have a tender, compassionate, gentle, patient Savior. Which leads me to our point today, that the world can have a certain level of even patience, but God calls us to take it a step further. Second Timothy 2.24 the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to all, patient when wronged. Then he goes on to say, with gentleness, correcting those in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, been held captive by him to do his will. Paul t is telling Timothy, when people are coming against you in Ephesus, when they're saying all these bad things about you, and when they're going to persecute you, this is how you are to respond, Timothy, with gentleness, with kindness, and in 2 Timothy 2.24, respond with patience when you are wronged, Timothy. James 5.10 puts it this way. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. James points us to the prophets. And he says, look at their suffering and look how they endured. Look at how they were patient. And if you go to Hebrews chapter 12, 
or actually Hebrews chapter 11 first at the end of the faith hall of fame, as we call it, the writer to the Hebrews lists the prophets. And he says that these are all the things that the prophets went through. And he lists these things. They stopped the mouths of lions. They escaped the edge of the sword. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were slain with the sword. It goes on to say, these are men of whom the world was not worthy. Patient men, men who endured great suffering. And James says, look to them. And I love when you look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse one, which obviously is right after Hebrews chapter 11. So the writer to the Hebrews says, look at these prophets, look at these great men of God, these great men and women of God who all were patient, who all endured. And then he says, Hebrews 12, one, fixing our eyes on Jesus, right? The ultimate example, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. The King James said, the King James uses instead of the word endurance there, talks about patience. And these words are synonyms in the New Testament. Endurance and patience, waiting on the Lord, enduring in him. And so just as Jesus, our ultimate example, endured, we are to endure. We are to be patient no matter what circumstances in life come our way. So the, the natural man cannot show the same kind of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and so on that we can as believers. And so Paul's exhortation to us in Galatians 5 is to walk by the Spirit so that you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's how we do it. That's how we grow in these areas, to submit, surrender, yield our lives to the Holy Spirit in our lives, something that the world cannot do. Now we serve a patient God. First Peter 3.20 says that God is patient. He's a patient God, and in the context, it's talking about Noah and the flood. And I looked up different commentaries and different articles. How long did God wait in those days? And Answers in Genesis says 120 years from the time God said, I'm going to destroy the world to the time he actually did. That Noah was constructing the ark for about 50 to 100 years, perhaps 120 years, according to Genesis 6-3, that God was patiently waiting. And the scripture says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And yet the world did not turn to him, as we know, and God's patient eventually will run out and his wrath will come. Second Peter three, nine, the Lord is not slow about his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. In second Peter three, 15, we regard the patience of the Lord to be salvation. So God is patient even today, Right. Just like the days of Noah, as God was waiting for people to repent, he was holding out his arms, the same can be said for today. The reason that you and I are here today is because of God's patience. The reason that this world isn't destroyed this second is because of God's patience. He's not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. And hence, we need to get out and spread the gospel, like Nick is saying faithfully getting out and spreading the good news. And we can do that in different ways. Some of us can pray. Some of us can go. Some of us can type up tracks. Some of us can bake some cookies and send the people out who go. There's so many different ways to be a part of the body of Christ, to be his hands and feet. We're not all called to get up here and preach from the podium, but we're all called to serve in whatever way God has gifted us. Amen? Romans 2, 4. Or do you not think... Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, 
not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. His patience, his kindness should lead us to repent, should lead us to turn. And then Revelation 2.20. You guys remember Jezebel in Revelation chapter 2, verse 20, and how Jesus said that I even gave her time to repent? Listen to what Jezebel was doing to the saints of God, leading them astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And the Lord says, I even gave her time to repent. He's even patient with her. This week I was reading some articles on Brigham Young. Brigham Young was the second president of the LDS church. Perhaps you didn't know this. He was the first governor of Utah for six years. And he was a polygamist, as many of you know. But perhaps you didn't know this, that he had 56 wives, according to most estimates. Some say it was maybe closer to 80 or to 100, but there's confirmed 56 wives. Wow. Here's some of his false teachings. Yeah, I had to pause for a minute and just take that in. Here's some of Brigham Young's false teachings. He taught that he taught the Adam-God doctrine, that Adam is the father God and the God of this world. And there's much more to this, but I'll just leave it there. He also taught blood atonement, which stated that the atonement of Jesus wasn't enough to cover us from all our sins. Things like theft and adultery and fornication and apostasy, he said, the blood of Jesus can't cover. So therefore, those of you who want to be forgiven, he would say, of those sins, you need to atone for those sins by sacrificing your life in a way that sheds blood. That's the only way for you to be truly forgiven, according to Brigham Young. He also taught that blacks could not hold the priesthood. And he spoke of interracial marriages in 1863, when he said, quote, shall I tell you the law of God in regard to the African race? If the white man who belongs to the chosen seed mixes his blood with the seed of Cain, the penalty under the law of God is death on the spot. This will always be so. Journal of Discourses, volume 10, page 110. I'm still looking for the scriptures on those teachings. I don't think they're in the Bible, right? They're not. He wasn't exactly a godly man, right? Actually quite the opposite. But as I was reading through these things and many other things, the question was going through my mind when I found out that he died at 76 years old, ripe old age of 76. Many people don't get to live that long. I'm thinking, God, why do you allow people like this to live so long, to spew such false doctrines, false teachings, leading people astray, taking all these wives after the lust of his own flesh, and then he lives this long. And one of the only reasons I could chalk up in my mind was the patience of God, that God is not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance, and that God is giving people like Brigham Young and even other people in this world, ruthless dictators and others, people like Bill Gates and whatnot, the more you read about them and learn about them, the more wicked that you find out they are. And you go, God, why don't you just wipe them out right now? You could easily do it. And it's his patience. I mean, what patience, what mercy, what love that God allows these people to continue living in hopes that they would turn and repent. And just as we talk about people like that, perhaps the saints during the New Testament times when the Apostle Paul was dragging Christians away and having them murdered and put to death and they're stoning Stephen and there's Paul giving his hearty amen, perhaps there was someone like me preaching then saying, why is God allowing a person like Paul to still live? 
And now we have half the New Testament because of God's patience. He's such a loving God. It says in Romans 10:21 of Israel, God says, all day long, I have stretched out my hands to an obstinate and disobedient people. All throughout the Old Testament, he's stretching out his hands. He's sending them prophet after prophet after prophet. He's sending them Jeremiah. He's sending them Isaiah, Ezekiel. He's sending them all these prophets saying, turn to the Lord and live. Turn to the Lord and live. And yet they would not listen. If you'll turn with me to Isaiah 65, just want to read you guys a couple verses. Last week, we looked at the prophet Jeremiah. This week, let's look at Isaiah chapter 65, verse 1. And as you're turning there, let me share a verse from Isaiah chapter 7. This is what the prophet says in Isaiah 7. We're in Isaiah 65. He said, listen now, O house of David, is it too slight a thing for you to try the patience of men that you will try the patience of my God as well. Isaiah saying, you are trying the patience of God by the way that you are living. In Isaiah 65, 1, God is speaking here and he says, I permitted myself to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I permitted myself to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here am I, here am I to a nation which did not call on my name. And then verse two, I have spread out my hands all day long to a rebellious people who walk in the way which is not good, following their own thoughts, a people who continually provoke me to my face, offering sacrifices in gardens and burning incense on bricks, who sit among graves and spend the night in secret places, who eat swine's flesh and the broth of unclean meat is in their pots, who say, keep to yourself, do not come near me, for I am holier than you. These are smoke in my nostrils, a fire that burns all the day. And if you look at verse 12, God says, I will destine you for the sword, and all of you shall bow down to the slaughter, because I called, but you did not answer. I spoke, but you did not hear. And you did evil in my sight and chose that in which I did not delight. And you see this give and take, this contrast in the Old Testament of God pleading, God's mercy, God's love, God sending the prophets and other saints to testify of his goodness, his grace, and his mercy. And then you see the judgment passages. You see God saying, that's it. It's over now. He even tells Jeremiah at one point, stop praying for these people. Stop weeping over these people. Enough is enough. Their wickedness has, it's over. That's it. And that's what we see here. God finally says, I'm destining you for the sword. It's over. My patience has run out. Yet it's amazing how long God waited over these people in the midst of all these things that we've just read. And this is the testimony of all of the scripture in Exodus 34, 6, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Numbers 14, 18, the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Psalm 86, 15, but you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And I love Ezekiel 33, 11. 
As I live, declares the Lord God, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. Why then will you die, O house of Israel? There's God with his arms stretched out. Why will you die? It's not on me. It's on you if you die and if you perish. And so people are without an excuse. People like Brigham Young are without an excuse. Bill Gates, whoever comes to your mind when you think of wicked men or women that are perhaps still alive today, that God is still being patient with, he's giving them time to repent. They are without excuse. But praise God, his arms are outstretched just like in the days of Noah, just like in the Old Testament, but the gospel message is going out to all the world. And that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. If you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Beautiful promise for those who turn. And so because God is so patient with this world and with us, in scripture, we are called to follow his example. Ephesians 5.1 says, be imitators of God as beloved children. Imitate his love, imitate his joy, his peace, and today, imitate God's patience. The Greek word in Galatians 5.22 for patience is macrothumia. Two Greek words put together, macros meaning long and thumos meaning anger. It's the opposite of short-tempered. Perhaps you've heard of a short-tempered person. Perhaps you've been a short-tempered person. The Greek word macrothumia is the opposite long-tempered, long anger, saying, how long can you wait to snap, basically? But don't snap, right? Don't have sinful anger. There's a place for righteous indignation. I don't think we're just to stand along when babies are being murdered and when there's wickedness going on in society and saying, oh, I'm just going to be patient and sit back and not call that evil. That's not what it's saying in the New Testament. That's not what this word means. But listen to what F.F. Bruce and his commentary on this Greek word states about it. He states, quote, it embraces steadfastness and staying power. If in English we had an adjective long-tempered as a counterpart to short-tempered, then macrothumia could be called the quality of being long-tempered, which is a quality of God. And he references the verse I just read a minute ago, Exodus 34, 6. God is slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. And so synonyms that we see for this word patience throughout the Bible are endurance, cons constancy, steadfastness, perseverance, especially as shown in bearing troubles and ills. That's when we can truly show forth the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our life. And the one that we're talking about today, patience, when we're going through difficult times, when we're going through troubles, when we're going through ills. With God's help, by walking in the spirit, we want to be known as long-tempered people, not short-tempered people. I was thinking back to the fire academy that I went through years ago, and one of the fire captains was known between all of us as a very short-tempered person. Now, granted, this is a fire academy, and they're supposed to get angry at you and yell at you and make you feel like you're two inches tall. That's just part of the going through a fire academy. But I try to stay as far away from this instructor as possible. I didn't even want him to see me, to look at me. I tried to blend in, hide out, do whatever I could because one wrong move, one wrong posture, and this man would be right in my face yelling at me. 
and I even twisted my ankle pretty bad in the academy. It's black and blue. Um, I thought I broke it, but I got x-rays. They said, no, it's not broken, hard to walk. And I taped it up and I even put tape over my shoe. And that was enough to just set him off. You know, why are you putting tape on your shoe? And what you try, you trying to sulk? And I'm like, I'm just trying to finish this academy. I'm trying to run several miles on a completely black and blue and twisted sprained ankle. And yet he was just ripping me every which way. Now I give him some leeway because this was an academy, right? And he's supposed to be mean, but <laughs> we don't want to be like that in the real world, right? We don't want people to look at us and say, that is a short tempered person. It just takes us doing this or that. And they just are set off. They're just angry. God wants us to be patient, patiently waiting on him. And if we're not, what we're saying is God, I'm not content in you. You, because whatever goes on in our life, God is allowing it for some reason. Whether it's through a spouse, through our kids, at work, friends. It could be a car like mine where your suspension just does not want to work anymore. And I keep telling myself every day I'm going to take it into the shop and I keep waiting. But it is really bad. And every time I'm driving in it, I'm like, this is a test of my patience right now. It is, that's a whole nother story. But it could, whatever it is in your life. You have to give it to the Lord. We have to stay prayed up and say, Lord, help me to wait on you. So one of the reasons that I thought that this message and this topic was applicable today was because of my day at work on Friday that I want to tell you a little bit about. And I've shared with you my job at Challenger School, a private school in Meridian. And the Lord just seems to keep giving me things from that school that I can share in my teachings, which can be helpful when you're putting together a message. But on Friday, I woke up to a lot of snow outside. And perhaps some of you did as well. And I went, wow, it's really cool to see. But my first thought was because the PE teacher called out the day before because his daughter was sick. And so they approached me halfway through the day and said, Nick, you're going to be the PE teacher. And I said, okay. And they didn't really tell me what to do. Basically watch the kids and make sure they don't get hurt. And so you send them outside and they play around and throw snowballs at each other. But if there's too much snow or it's too slick, then they don't let the kids go outside. So Friday morning I woke up and I thought, oh no, I hope this PE teacher doesn't call out sick again because I'm gonna be the PE teacher if he does. And so I get to work and I didn't hear from the principal, which they call the headmaster. I didn't hear that I would be the PE teacher. So I was like, okay, praise the Lord. Like, I don't have to deal with that today. Well, right before the first PE class is about to begin, the headmaster calls, actually the person right underneath her, the director calls and says, Nick, so such and such is called out. You're the PE teacher today. And right in that moment, I, I started praying because I knew it was going to be a really long day. Nine classes of PE outside was covered in snow and all wet. And I knew that they were going to say, you're going to do it indoors, which is really difficult with these crazy kids. And so sure enough, they tell me, yep, it's too wet outside. And here's a classroom for you because the NPR is busy. They have two MPRs. Just in case one's busy, you can use the other one, but they're both busy today because we're doing Christmas sing specials and programs. So here's a little tiny classroom for you. There's pianos and there's music stuff. And so you got to be really careful in here. Oh, and there's two classrooms on the other side of it where students are, you know, taking tests and all that. And so here's your class, play musical chairs, but don't let them push or be too loud. And okay, you're going to be in here all day. And I'm like, okay, Lord, like, seriously, how am I going to pull this off? Like, and so 
the rest of the day was kids cr- coming up to me crying. I tried Pictionary. I tried, I, I was trying to pull things out of a hat. I'm like, what do I do here? I'm trying four corners, heads up, seven up. I was about to go bring hula hoops in the room, but I'm like, they're going to throw these things because kids are playing on the pianos. Some were grabbing um, tambourines because this is the music classroom. And so the moment I'm talking to them, there's other students over here pulling stuff off the board. And I'm throughout the day just praying, Lord, help me not to lose it right now. I don't know what to do in this situation. Teachers are coming in. They're too loud. The students are moving the, the chairs. They're too loud. And I'm like, Lord, I don't, I literally, I don't know what to do. How, what am I supposed to do here? If they're too loud, they're going to get mad. But if, if I try to tell them to be quiet, I feel like I'm doing them a disservice because this is PE. They're supposed to be, you know, running around doing something to get energy out. They're in a classroom for eight hours learning a lot of diff- difficult topics. And so my entire day was crying out to the Lord, just saying, Lord, I'm between a rock and a hard place right now. I got kids crying to me, kids screaming, kids mad at me that I'm not taking them outside, kids talking back to me, kids that if they were my own kids would get soap in their mouths and a nice discipline when they get back home. But I'm there at school and I have to do this with a good heart. And I have to show these kids the love of Christ, even in the midst of difficult situations like that. So after my day and looking over my notes and looking at the next fruit of the Holy Spirit, which was patience on our list. I thought it was only fitting that we should talk about patience today. So that was my main test this week. I've also talked about my children and my daughter this morning. And even before worship, right as worship was starting, my son was back there who needed a spanking. And I'm like, how am I going to pull this off in church? That'll have to wait till after. But it's just constant, right? At least that's my life. I don't know about your guys's. But these tests that come our way, what are we going to do? Are we going to submit to the Lord, yield to his spirit, practice patience, or be short-tempered, get angry, and misrepresent the Lord? And that's one of the reasons why it's so important that we grow in the fruits of the Holy Spirit. It's so important that we live out these fruits in our life so that we do not become a stumbling block or an offense to people that want to come to know Christ or for people that should remain in Christ. We want to represent God and we want to represent his attributes correctly to the world. It's been attributed to Mahatma Gandhi that he said this, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Now, some people will use that as an excuse. I've known people personally that have said, I will never go to a church again because Christians are hypocrites. I'll never go to a church again because this Christian did this to me or that that Christian said that. And so I'll never go to church again. But that's not going to work on judgment day, right? Can't stand before God and say, I didn't believe in you, Lord. I didn't accept Christ because that Christian over there was a hypocrite. It's not going to work. But nevertheless, God wants us to live upstanding before. He wants us to live righteous lives before him, holy lives before him. He wants us to represent him properly to the world and not give anyone an offense or a stumbling block, a roadblock for them to come to know him and remain in him. And same thing at the school for me, that's on my mind. You know, they know that I'm a Christian, many of them. They know that I'm serving the church here. And if I'm losing my temper, if I'm grumbling and complaining, 
which is tempting when you're put into a situation like that at the end of the day to say, I can't believe they put me in this situation. I can't believe they just threw me in a classroom, didn't really give me many options. And there's a lot of reasons why maybe I could have been angry, complaining, bitter, lashing out. And by God's grace, hopefully I passed the test. Not perfectly. None of us are perfect, but we, we should want to grow in these areas. And the same thing with my wife and kids, right? I don't want to be a stumbling block or an offense to my kids for them to truly see and know the Lord and the Lord's love and his peace and his patience and kindness. If I'm misrepresenting that by losing my temper with them and the apostle Paul lived with the same sentiment. If you'll turn with me to second Corinthians chapter six, just want to look at a couple more verses with the time that we have remaining second Corinthians chapter six, Paul's addressing a church as many of you know he calls them babies in Christ earlier on in first Corinthians he says I don't even know if some of you are in Christ I don't know if some of you are Christians by the way that you're living and if you are you're babies in Christ you're on the milk you're on the pacifier you should be on the meat and you get to second Corinthians and right before chapter six he even says in verse 20 we beg you on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God He's begging them, come to Christ, know him, believe in him, live for him. You get to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1, and he says, And working together with him, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, at the acceptable time, I listened to you, and on the day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now look at, look at verse 3. He says, giving no cause for offense in anything. The NIV puts it this way. We put no stumbling block in anyone's path. And the ESV says, we put no obstacle in anyone's way for verse three. The NASB says, giving no cause for offense in anything in order that the ministry be not discredited, but in everything, commending ourselves as servants of God in much the Greek word there is polus. It's the same Greek word used in John 15, 8, where Jesus said that you bear much fruit. Paul says here that he's a servant of God in much endurance, afflictions, and hardships, distresses, beatings, imprisonments, tumults, and labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger, in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, in the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left, by glory and dishonor, by evil report and good report, regarded as deceivers and yet true, as unknown yet well-known, as dying yet behold we live, as punished yet not put to death, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, having nothing yet possessing all things. Our mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our heart is open wide. You are not restrained by us, but you are restrained in your own affections. Now in a like exchange, I speak as to children, open wide to us also. You hear the heart of God here in this passage. Just as God said all day long, my arms are outstretched to you, Israel. It's as if Paul's saying that to the Corinthian church. My arms are outstretched to you. My love is outstretched to you. We're not a stumbling block, an offense to you. We've lived out Christ and his fruits of the Holy Spirit in our lives before you. 
If you guys are rejecting us and the gospel, that's on you. And we might say today, perhaps you might say, okay, Nick, you're teaching on patience, but you don't know my wife. Or Nick, you don't know my husband. Nick, you don't know my kids. Nick, you don't know my coworker. Fill in the blank. But when I read Paul here in 2 Corinthians 6, and he says and uses that word in Greek, polus, much, a great amount, multitudinous afflictions, hardships, distresses, beatings, imprisonments, tumults, labor, sleeplessness, and hunger. He's giving us all a pretty good competition for the things that perhaps we might use as an excuse in our lives to say, man, it's really hard to show patience. Because if you look at verse 6, when he uses that word much, he also uses it in terms of purity, knowledge, and patience. Same Greek word used in Galatians 5, 22, macrothumia, love, joy, peace, patience. Paul says in much patience and in kindness. And he says, here's the secret. In the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, in the word of truth, in the power of God, by weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left. He goes, I can't do this in my own strength. I can't have the patience and the purity and the knowledge and the kindness that God calls me to have apart from the Holy Spirit, apart from the power of God, apart from his power, his strength, his weapons in his life and in our lives as well. It's not possible apart from Christ, which brings us back to John 15, which I spent a good amount of time on last week that Jesus said, apart from me, you can't do nothing. I'm the vine, you are the branches, abide in me, and you will bear much fruit. So the last point I want to make today in talking about bearing the fruit of patience, the last point has to do with us looking at our clothes. And you say, Nick, what does our clothing have to do with patience? If we want to excel in patience, we need new clothes. Perhaps you're like me. You want to keep every piece of clothing your entire life. I have shirts that have big holes in them that Leah, when I'm not home, sneaks them out into the garbage, and then I forget about them, and rightly so. And same thing with some of my shoes and even a pair of sandals that I'm still mad about, but they needed to be tossed after several years. But what do I mean about our clothes, that this is important for us to grow in patience? Spiritually speaking, Romans 13, 14 Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. NIV states, clothe yourself with Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lust. You want to win the battle against the flesh and the spirit? You want to walk in the Holy Spirit? You want to bear much fruit and bear much fruit in the area of patience? Put on Jesus Christ. Clothe yourself with him. Do you remember James? In the book of James, it tells us to remember the prophets, to remember Job. Remember Job's endurance and Job's patience? And if you remember Job, it says in Job 1.1, was blameless, upright, fearing God and turning from evil. In Job 1.3, says he was the greatest of all the men of the East. And in Job chapter 29, it's a chapter of reminiscing. Job is going through some really difficult things. We all know the story. And in Job 29, he's remembering his glory days. And that's your homework assignment for next week is to read Job chapter 29, to look at Job's glory days. But just let me share you a couple verses from Job 29. He says, I was in the prince of my days 
when the friendship of God was over my tent, when the Almighty was yet with me and my children were around me. He says in verse 6, when my steps were bathed in butter and the rock poured out for me streams of oil. There's some exaggeration going on in this chapter, but he's basically saying, man, I was, I was like the Lord's man. Everything was going well. When I walked into the town square, everyone looked at me. There is Job. He says the young man, the young men would put their hands over their mouth and they would bow to me and the older men respected me. And it's as if I was walking on butter. Oil was coming out of the rocks for me. And he says in this chapter, in Job chapter 29, 14, I put on righteousness and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a headband. He goes, I was on fire for the Lord. I was clothed in righteousness. I was living for him. And the test for the rest of the book of the Job is to now keep on these new clothes. Are you going to walk in the flesh, Job? Are you going to throw off righteousness? Are you going to throw off the Lord and live for yourself and live for your flesh? Or are you going to keep these garments on? And praise God, he did. And that's why James tells us to remember Job, to remember his patience, his endurance. Remember the prophets who endured much for the Lord. And it could be said they kept on the new clothes. And can the same be said for us? What kind of clothes do we have on? One more text from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 6, 8, and 9. God says, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on your doorposts of your house and on your gates. God wants his word on our minds. And he told the Israelites to literally put it on your face, put it on your hand to remind you of my ways, my laws. We need to put on Christ, his righteousness, his word, hide it in our hearts as the psalmist says, so that we will not sin against him. We must clothe ourselves with Christ if we want to win the battle of bearing much fruit and not walking in the flesh. Get rid of the old clothes, the old mindset, the old fleshly garments, and put on the new. And the last verses I'll share with you, an admonition from the Apostle Paul, Colossians 3, 12, and 13. And so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion or clothe yourselves with a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And so that's our exhortation, if you will, for today, that God would help us to put on his righteousness, his clothes, to abide in him and bear much fruit, particularly patience. So let's pray.